this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i am amit barua your host for today pakistani prime minister imran khan said the cat among the pigeons on september 25th when he said people living along the tribal belt in his country had affinity with the taliban not because of their religious identity but because of pashtun nationalism he claimed that pakistani pashtuns had affinities and sympathy with the afghan taliban mohsin dawar a member of pakistan's national assembly from north waziristan responded in a tweet and i quote just shocked at how the pm of pakistan can describe taliban as pashtun nationalists the taliban is a project of pakistan's generals for decimating pashtun nationalism unquote a pakistani journalist mehreen zehra malik reacted in her own tweet and i quote again I don't understand why the prime minister is more interested in using international forums to be an ambassador of the Taliban rather than the country he represents Pakistan unquote so what's the reality how true are pakistan prime minister imran khan's claims made in his speech at the united nations general assembly the other day to discuss these issues i have with me author aisha siddiqui who is currently a research associate at the SOAS South Asia Institute in London. Welcome to In Focus, Aisha. Thank you, Amit. So, Aisha, what do you make of Prime Minister Imran Khan's comments at the UNGA on the Taliban and Pashtun nationalism? See, I believe this is what he has been taught by or briefed by by his generals. Uh, this is nothing new. I mean, I remember my own visit in 2016, my first and only visit to Afghanistan. And I was there present with a team uh, from Pakistan, which included former ISI uh, Lieutenant General Asad Durrani. Uh, there were a few others. And constantly what they were saying to the Afghans was that Taliban were the actual Pashtuns or Pashtun uh talibans represented pashtun ethnicity uh they were the rightful representatives of pashtun nationalism so that is what i call a pakistani state project for a very long time imran khan may be new to it this is how it has been explained to him but this is what the understanding is uh, i mean yesterday uh, i was in fact talking to uh, to somebody uh, in in pakistan and my understanding there is that a general notion in the capital and in the country especially in uh, in the largest province uh, punjab is that actually those people the pashtun nationalist or the urban afghans uh, that are displaced after uh, taliban take over actually do not represent pashtuns or they do not represent pashtun ethnicity it's just the taliban you know to cut it short i think he is he said at the un what the generals uh, or the security uh, establishment has always believed in uh, the larger strategic community in pakistan that is their understanding and notion but aisha don't you think that uh, if we take this argument further i mean if we are talking about pashtuns on either side of uh, the disputed border between afghanistan and pakistan then one could even take the argument further and say that if the taliban are good in afghanistan why are they bad in pakistan i think that's the question that arises no no i agree with you and i feel that 
the problem that will arise if Taliban settle down, really. Taliban settling down in Afghanistan is not good news for Pakistan because the next thing uh, that is going to come our way is religious militant groups, those networks asking that, you know, if Taliban can run a country next door, uh, why can't the same happen in, in Pakistan? I mean, we know that TTP has been asking for and demanding uh, imposition of Sharia in, in, in Pakistan. And that is, uh, again, also an old argument. I remember speaking to, uh, you know, General Zauddin Dar, um, who was appointed as the army chief by Nawaz Sharif for, for a brief, brief few hours before the coup by General Musharraf. So I met him later on and we were discussing and uh, the situation. And I remember we were talking about this was this was around uh, the operation in Sabat. And he was counting out, you know, he was counting numbers that, you know, if in in battle with in, in, in a conflict with India, Pakistan is not in a good position because we, we are short of, uh, uh, you know, uh, aircraft and, and tanks and, and other weapons. So I reminded him, I said, yes, and we have a problem. We have a problem of Mullah Fazlullah in Sabat and, uh, you know, that kind of threat. And he turned around and said, no, but that's not a threat. Uh, that will never be a threat because all we need to do is impose, let them impose Sharia in Swat and, uh, you know, live our lives as we do. And that is also something... And recently, there are conversations uh, amongst uh, strategic circles, you know, retired diplomats, some journalists, some type of journalists, retired generals talking about absorbing TTP. Now, how do you think TTP is going to get absorbed? Uh, the basis will be allowing them to or giving them that space to uh, implement the kind of Sharia which they want to implement. And naturally, I don't think that they'll be allowed to implement Sharia in Islamabad, Lahore, and Karachi, at least not as yet. It will be done in the tribal area. So, but going back to your, you know, earlier question, Amit, uh, you know, that, that connects. I think in the minds of both Imran Khan, Prime, Prime Minister Imran Khan, and the security establishment, uh, there is little space, you know, in the room in their hearts for secular nationalism. They will tolerate uh, a Talibanized Afghanistan uh, in the name of and present it as Pashtun nationalism rather than have secular nationalism take, uh, you know, take its place. There is less tolerance. Uh, there is less tolerance for non-Taliban Pashtun nationalism. I think this is something which, uh, you know, which uh, the security establishment just does not like. Because we also know, Aisha, that uh, the TTP have also gone after the Awami National Party, uh, you know, whose claims to Pashtun nationalism are second to none in Pakistan. We've seen so many such incidents. You know, the, 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 the problem is that... Uh, the, the, the Pakistani state itself, uh, for, for the longest, has been very apprehensive and uncomfortable with Pashtun nationalism. Uh, in some ways, it's about Pakistan being a project 
which is continuously in making, uh, trying right. to create a singular identity. You know what Dr. Faisal Devji calls create, creating a Muslim Zion here. Uh, so Pakistan with an Islamic identity which uh, forbears and, 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 and which is, you know, which, which is stronger than which, which pushes aside every other, uh, other identity, all ethnicities. Pakistan does not take comfortably to any ethnic project that way. Uh, and, and so Pashtun nationalism is definitely one nationalism which has for years tried to assert itself in one way or the other. I personally feel there isn't a, that threat. Uh, the Pashtuns in Pakistan are very well settled in Pakistan, uh, given that Afghanistan has always been in turmoil for the last 30 years. Uh, the situation, I mean, remains chaotic. I don't think that Pakistani Pashtuns want to cross over uh, in, and, and live in Afghanistan. However, uh, they want to have that bond with the Pashtun nationals across the border. Uh, and that is something which bothers uh, the state. I mean, if, 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 if uh, to remind you, I think uh, PTM, Pashtun Tahafuz Movement, Pashtun, uh, you know, Tahafuz Movement uh, by Manzoor Pashtun, when it came around uh, by these uh, Pashtun youth uh, who were, you know, who were contesting uh, the state and who were demanding their constitutional right, the problem that occurred was when they reached out and, you know, the response from Ashraf Ghani, the response from the Kabul government, uh, Kabul government would issue statements whenever people disappeared on the Pakistani side or, uh, you know, when uh, people were tortured or something happened. And that is something which reminded Pakistan, uh, the Pakistani state of two things. Firstly that uh, there is an entity which can challenge, uh, which, which is, you know, which is beyond borders, which is transnational uh, and does not perhaps confine to their idea of a singular national state. And secondly, uh, which reminds them over and over again of the 1940s and uh, later on and and the suspicion that perhaps there is an uh, India-Afghanistan unity in uh, breaking Pakistan's uh, nationalism itself. So it's a very uh, national security way of looking at the problem when there needn't be, uh, you know, this needn't be the parts uh, dreaded by the state. Right. I said to get back to Prime Minister Imran Khan's comments. Uh, I recall I was in Islamabad working for the Hindu uh, when Pakistan announced that it was recognizing the Taliban regime at that time. I think it was in October 97. And two other countries followed suit. One was Saudi Arabia and the other was the United Arab Emirates. By the by, uh, you know, as months and years passed, uh, it looked to me that more and more Pakistan was bearing the burden of, in a sense, defending the Taliban. So when Prime Minister Khan makes these comments, uh, is, he, is he going down a similar path here, a familiar path, uh, which we saw previously? 
I'm sure that the idea is not to for not for Pakistan to be the first one to recognize um, the Taliban, uh, the Taliban regime. I, I I think that there is a clarity there. Uh, what Pakistan is saying, uh, the decision is that there will be Pakistan will follow other nations. It doesn't want the burden of responsibility falling on it as it had happened. I mean, there was greater space in 1996 as compared to now. I mean, 1996, America had packed up, left. Nobody was bothered about what happened to Afghanistan. You know, you keep it, you deal with it kind of a situation. And Pakistan then uh, encouraged the Taliban and it was supported. And before that, it was Gulbuddin Hikmatyar, you know, we, we, you know that history. Yeah, so, but Aisha, you can also argue that uh, the U.S. has packed up and left this time also. Yeah, but this time around, I think United States has left in a very different mood. 1996, America had won a war against Soviet Union. Now it has almost kind of lost a war, or that is the impression. You know, it has... It, it has uh, evicted from Afghanistan like it did in, you know, from, from Vietnam. There are reminders there. Um, America is also reminded that, you know, from China to Russia to Pakistan, everybody was helping the Taliban in order to fail the, the American forces. That, you know, that's a, that's a bad memory. And so uh, Pakistan understands that America will not be kind to it. The Western states will not be very uh, kind to Pakistan being the first in recognizing the Taliban regime. However, it feels the responsibility uh, and burden on its shoulders to make the state, new state work. See, what has happened is we didn't like uh, Ghani. Uh, the entire leadership which had been created uh, after uh, 9-11 and American invasion of Afghanistan, all that leadership has been pushed back. The true, from Islamabad's point of view, the true victors, which is the Tawija, the Taliban, and, and primarily the Haqqani network, are in, in control of the state. Now, the question is, how do you make that state work? That's, a, that's Pakistan's problem. Pakistan also understands that it cannot. It doesn't have the economic potential to bear the burden. Uh, there will be problems if the state begins to fail. Uh, and, and so it feels responsible for making it work. And therefore, going around the problem, which is, you know, all kinds of things are happening which would otherwise equate with, with recognizing the state. For example... PIA, Pakistan International Airlines, has started flights allowed uh, to, to Kabul. Kamer uh, and Ariana have also been allowed. There has been MOU. They, they're also allowed to uh, fly back and forth uh, to Islamabad. So that has begun to happen. Uh, you know, there is food aid. There, there are other things happening. So, you know, they're, they're constantly, they're state actors. They're, you know, the DGISI was there. Um, Constantly, people are traveling back and forth. People are talking. So short of formal recognition, everything else is happening. But in order to not, you know, be in the uh, kind of, uh, you know, 
be burdened with responsibility of being the first one to recognize Taliban. Uh, I think that's what Islamabad doesn't want to do at the moment. Right. Uh, you you referred to uh, ISI chief uh, Faiz Hamid's uh, visit to Kabul. And soon after this visit, um, an interim government was announced. Do you think the ISI helped shape the nature of this interim arrangement? Is that your sense? I believe that constantly in conversation and in order to, because the world, what the world is saying is, uh, you know, Taliban have to act more responsibly. They have to make an inclusive government. And in some respects, if Pakistan is on the front line, I mean, uh, you know, Maureen Zahra Malik was right that uh, Imran Khan in the UN wasn't speaking for Pakistan, but he was speaking for Afghanistan. Uh, Shah Mahmood Qureshi, a uh, foreign minister, is traveling around talking behalf of Afghanistan more than uh, you know more than Pakistan. In Washington D.C., this uh, and and New York, the days that they spend there, the uh, the Pakistani delegation, they're constantly talking about Afghanistan. So the thing is that with so much responsibility. Uh, it's important for them to make it work, make it acceptable for the international community. Uh, the international community is talking about things being inclusive, making it inclusive. Uh, and so to, you know, it's, it's, I, I think it's a, it's a, Pakistan is in, a, in, a, in not in an enviable position at all. Uh, trying to convince the Taliban, and, and it's not just one Taliban, the different factions of them, uh, getting them on the same table, trying to convince them to make the their government look more uh, acceptable, more inclusive, uh, have policies changed, some of their policies at least. Uh, now, in, in some respects, I think there is this is an additional burden because there are a lot of things which the world otherwise tolerates for other countries which they're not accepting for the Taliban. And and then I think it's the context which is important here. But I think that's that's where, where the burden is. So constantly, uh, you know, ISI is definitely involved. Pakistan government is definitely involved in uh, convincing Taliban to, uh, you know, make some concessions. What we see initially coming out of uh, Afghanistan, Aisha, is uh, we saw this recent bodies being hung out, uh, from a crane in 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 Afghanistan in Herat, I believe those are the reports. And plus, uh, uh, you know, the Taliban have been completely silent about the education of uh, school uh, girls who are in school. So these signs, uh, you know, are, are not very positive. So, what is your sense as to you know whether the Taliban will be accommodating or will we see a different face of them? Beyond a point, I don't see them accommodate. And I think if I were them, the question in my mind would be that, look, uh, you know, as far as punishments are concerned, Saudi Arabia has been doing it for years. Uh, and they do uh, cutting off heads, etc. So, you know, if we are going to go by Sharia, what's, what's the problem? Uh, well, naturally, the problem is that Saudi Arabia doesn't need money from outside Afghanistan does. Uh, and that is where the catch-22 lies for, um, you know, for, for both for Pakistan and Afghanistan. Uh, but I personally feel that beyond a point, 
you know, to expect a democratic, modern state, it's too early and uh, not imaginable at the moment. Uh, the Pakistan's argument is that, you know, in order to change them, you have to engage with them, which means give them money. My argument would be that, okay, if you give them money now and if you begin to accommodate, then where is the pressure on them to change? So it's a, it's a, it's a catch-22 uh, for the entire world and how you deal with, with, with Taliban. Uh, where does one begin to see, uh, you know, the movement uh, or any change in their behavior? Uh, but I also fe- fear that beyond a point, uh, United States is not going to care. Uh, there will be humanitarian assistance to, uh, f- uh, you know, uh, to Afghanistan. Uh, they're already talking about it. You know, even European Union is talking about humanitarian aid. Uh, but do they believe that, you know, Afghan, uh, Afghan Taliban will really... Uh, change their behavior, how much. I think right now international attention is not even invested in Afghanistan. As long as somebody can ensure that uh, terrorism doesn't emanate from it any any longer, another 9-11 doesn't happen. Uh, That's that's the only concern. Right. And uh, what is your sense of uh, how China and Russia, who are, you know, closely uh, coordinating with Pakistan, uh, what do you think their attitude towards the Taliban uh, is likely to be? And how important is China's approach uh, on the Taliban to Pakistan? China, I believe, is being cautious and so is Russia. I mean, if initially, if, if you remember, you know, Mr. Zobolov, they've been singing praises of Taliban and there has been this argument about, you know, being able to talk to the Taliban, you know, even Russian government initially said that. But suddenly uh, they seem to be more restrained and saying that no, uh, a recognition of uh, Taliban-led Kabul government is not forthcoming. I mean, not as yet. And China is is following suit. Everybody is, I mean, I think uh, after that initial excitement of the Americans are out, most countries, big countries are being cautious. And and I think primarily uh, China's main concern is to see who is in charge of Kabul. I mean, right now we don't even know that. Uh, Otherwise, you know, the exploration, the... Uh, you know the the natural the the minerals etc. A uh, lot of that uh, that's for China to take. Uh, if you remember, one of the things which um, one of the suggestions which Pakistan had made, uh, you know, Amrullah Saleh talked about uh, Bajwa uh, sharing that with with uh, with Ashraf Ghani government then, and uh, some of the points. And one of the points was for. Russia, China, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, whoever is the government in Afghanistan, to make a, you know, a, make a kind of an organization or, or, or an infrastructure through which they all jointly exploit uh, mineral resources in Afghanistan. So that is there for China to take. Question is timing, when? An important thing is that, like Chinese always do, they're not in a hurry. 
to step in and say, oh, wow, uh, now the Americans are now are gone. We are coming in to do this, that and the other and uh, and then, uh, you know, get shortchanged. Uh, I think they'll wait. They'll wait. They'll put burden on on Pakistan. Uh, and, you know, if you notice, uh, they for them, terrorism is a major concern. Uh, you know, you you will be. It's interesting to note that the recent GCC uh, meeting with between Pakistan and and China regarding CPEC. Um, in some ways, China has been harder on Pakistan than even uh, the Financial Action Task Force. Uh, the attack in Dasu. Uh, they're saying not just conviction of those responsible, but they're sentencing as well. They're asking for more from Pakistan, which means that terrorism is a major concern for them. Uh, So that's why I think China will move cautiously. Well, on that note, uh, Aisha Siddiqa, thank you so much for talking uh, to uh, the Hindus in Focus podcast. We leave it here for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Amit. It was great talking to you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.